handling my uh, Mr. Rogers today with my sweater. That's because I was told vertical lines make you look thinner, and I need all the help I can get, right? As we get ready, this is my favorite time of the year. I got to tell you, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen today for you all, but I was thoroughly blessed in my time in the Word of God and just going through preparation for, for the message. It's just, a, it's, just it's, it's overwhelming how awesome God is, isn't it? Um, you know, I think as you look at this time of year, when I was a little boy growing up, my parents really made Thanksgiving a, a, a family day and a day that we really spent a whole lot of time together. Uh, you know, we all, as growing up, learned about the pilgrims and when they came over. Do you all know why they came in April? Because April showers brings the May flowers. <laughs> Do you know why their pilgrims' pants always fell down? Because they wear their belt buckles on their hats, right? So... And I know everybody doesn't like my corny jokes. They kind of bother Jason a little bit. I get that. It's kind of fun to do it that way. Because when I was in his office this morning, I'm looking on his board, and there's a joke that says, what kind of candy bars do aliens eat? And it was Mars bars, right? And I said, well, who did that? That was had to be your daughter, Brianna. And it was, right, which was really funny. The other one was, what do you call a happy cowboy? A jolly rancher, right? Pretty cool. Anyways, when we look at Thanksgiving as a whole, you know, we look at the holiday itself. We look at, you know, the first Thanksgiving was back in 1621, right, when the pilgrims celebrated with the Indians. We all know the story. Uh, first official proclamation of a day of Thanksgiving was found in, in Charleston, Massachusetts, back in 1676. Uh, the first time uh, the Congress was held in New England, it was a New England custom up to that point in time to set aside one day for prayer and thanksgiving. They always did it, right? And then finally, George Washington uh, proclaimed uh, a day uh, for thanksgiving, and it was a resolution then that came forth from Congress, so much for separation of church and state, right? And we, you know, we sat back after our independence, and we set aside one day to thank God. Can you imagine us doing that today? We set aside. But then from Madison all the way up to Abraham Lincoln, about 47 years, really nothing. And then Abraham Lincoln came along, and he set aside, after we got through that brutal civil war, to set aside a day to make it a national day where we get on our knees and our face before God and give thanks in humble adoration for the awesome God that we serve. Unlike today, there were no parade, no Macy's Day parade, There was no football games, and thank God there was no shopping. It was just a simple day that was set aside for humility and prayer of thanksgiving to a God for all that he had provided and how he had blessed us as a nation. Oh, how we need that today. Isn't that true? Has there ever been more of a need to call upon the name of the Lord than now? The spiritual darkness that hovers over our nation, the political conflict we see ourselves in, the academic atheism that's feeding our minds of our kids, the sexual exploitation, the human trafficking that's going on. It's no different than in the days of Paul. In Romans 1, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their fuller hearts, foolish hearts were darkened. Isn't that true? 
It's amazing what ungrateful. Have you ever met an on fire Christian who was ungrateful? I think it's an oxymoron. I don't think you can be the same. He later said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Isn't it interesting that word ungrateful? You don't see it until you really focus on it. Yet, you don't realize the dire consequences when we stop being grateful for what God has done for us. How many people got up today and are grateful that you were able to get up today? No matter how sore or tired you were. Look at what happened. Hosea chapter 8, go home and read it for homework. It's all about the judgment of God on the nation that forgot how good God was and how grateful they should be for his gifts, his providence, his protection. His presence. Deuteronomy 8, 11 says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today. Paul said in Romans 2, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. God's goodness and His gifts to us are meant to lead us to a place We look to him for the sustenance of our lives. We look to him to fill our hearts with that joy and contentment that can't be found in anybody, in anything, in fame or fortune or anything. It's the only thing that can be filled by God. It says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Here's the line that I think is important. He will render each one of us according to his works. Gratitude, thankfulness is a work. How will God reward you for your gratefulness to him? When's the last time you really sat down and started really thinking of all the things you should be grateful? And I'm not just talking about the good things. I'm talking about being grateful for those people who are a thorn in your side because they make you a better person. They make you think differently. They make you think about how I should respond or act in kindness and in love. What about those people that make your job difficult? What about those people that are are always against you? Shouldn't be thankful that I got a God to turn to and depend on and trust in for what's happening. The gospel was given to us for freedom. Freedom from all the things that life throws at us, all the circumstances, all the people, all the situations. God revealed his truth to us, his goodness in his son Jesus Christ to do what? To free us from personal enslavement and bondage to the world. That we should be thankful for, for Jesus alone, right? He came to do what? Save us from ourselves. Man, for me, sometimes I want to be a positive person. And sometimes I go through life and I get so busy that sometimes I don't realize how I come off. And it's not the way I want to come off. How many are like that? Because we're just so busy, we're not thinking about how good it is to live life, to be here today. I'm thankful for Regina's story. She's battling cancer and she's thankful to be here today. And she wins the award for the longest commute, by the way. But here's the thing, we always should be joyful and thankful for what God has done and is doing and thank God for scripture, what he is yet to do. 
because he's not done with us yet. Amen? It's amazing sometimes. Some of you need to have a prayer meeting in your home Thursday. Not just dinner, not just family, but to get on your knees before God and thank God for everyone that's there, even those in-laws or relatives that you don't like. You got to be thankful for them. If we refuse to give him thanksgiving, don't we deserve his righteous judgment? Isn't that something that we deserve? I love what Jason read. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ. Paul, I think, was the greatest of the disciples because you know what? He showed the most thanksgiving. Every letter he starts off with thanksgiving. I thank God for you. I thank God for his gospel. I thank God for you, brothers and sisters. To me, that's encouraging. He had to be a guy that you wanted to be around. People that are encouragers, people that are thankful, are infectious. They get you going where you're like, man, I like that person. I want to be around that person. I want to be like that person. All you got to do is get to know Jesus a little better than you do today to be that person, right? See, people in, in, in Scripture, I think what Paul is saying to us in the passage is that thanksgiving should be a personal practice. He says, I will give thanks to my God, him, his God. It's personal. Philippians 4, 6 says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, God wants to hear from you. He wants to know your heart. He wants to have a relationship with you and a conversation with you. Yes, you can praise God and give thanks corporately, but let me tell you something. What good does it do to praise God corporately when you don't do it privately and personally? He wants it to be a personal relationship. And he wants it to be perpetual, right? He wants Thanksgiving should be a perpetual practice. I give thanks to my God always. Not sometimes, not when I feel like it, not when it's convenient. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Always in everything. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. <clears throat> How much of your prayer time is filled with thanksgiving versus personal requests versus your needs? David was called a man after God's own heart. One of the reasons why when you read the Psalms, he's always giving thanks and praise to God. I love it in Psalm 79, 13. But we, your people, he's making a statement about God's people. That's us. The sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. That means we should always do it, and we should teach the next generation to do the same thing. Amen? To count the blessings of our great, mighty, and awesome God. So it should be a personal practice, Thanksgiving. It should be a perpetual practice, Thanksgiving. But most importantly, it's a purposeful practice, Thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. That doesn't mean you have to be thankful for the circumstance. But you should always be thankful that God's in there with you. And God's going to use it for your good and his glory, as Romans 8.28 tells us, right? To me, I think that we have to understand, he says, for this, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In other words, there's a purpose there. When you're giving thanks, it's really for you. You're acknowledging God, and you're acknowledging his power and his providence, but it really is about you there. Because he does something in the midst of that. Thanksgiving is acknowledging a debt that cannot be repaid. True thanks is expressed when we cannot reimburse the giver for what they're giving and providing. It's a recognition of dependence in need of. To me, people who are practicing thanksgiving personally and perpetually and purposefully, they're different kind of people no matter what the circumstances, right? They know how to give uh, thanks in all circumstances. There's a story that I just love. It's a, a pastor, Jack Hitton. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he was on a short-term missions trip, and he was leading worship in a, a leopard colony in Tobago. I think that's one of our, where our missionaries are. What's the girl's name? Togo, yeah. So um, the woman had been facing away from the pulpit the whole entire time he did his message. And when he was done... They were getting ready, and, and, and all of a sudden, she turned around. And here's what he said. He was, I saw her. It was the most hideous face I had ever seen. The woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. And then she lifted a fingerless hand in the air and asked, Can we sing, Count Your Many Blessings? Overcome with emotion, Hinton said he had to leave the service, and he was followed by a team member who said, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again. And he turned and he said, yes, I will, but I'll never sing it the same way again. Isn't that true? We don't realize how blessed we are, and sometimes it just takes a look at someone sitting next to you or someone down the street to realize that, you know what? God is good to us, even in the bad and difficult times. So I I asked myself this week, why can some people live that way with this personal thankfulness that's that's inspiring and and infectious and and, and they have this way they're always doing it and they seem like they're purposeful in sharing the, the good that God does in their lives. And then it dawned on me, the realization that the reason why they can be that way is because they understand the presence of God. They understand what that really means. And I wonder this morning if all of us do. See, the presence of God is inescapable, isn't it? This word tells us in Psalm 139, 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I fee from your presence? The presence of God is it Jesus is with us. Amen? Matthew 28, 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age the presence of god is the holy spirit indwelling us john 14 16 through 17 and i will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you isn't that awesome God is present. We can't go anywhere without him being there. 
He is in everything and he's everywhere. Not only is he all-knowing, but he's all-powerful. And guess what? He's ever-present. The presence of God, he's here with us right now. Yeah, I know scripture says we're two or more gathered in his name. There he'll be. But I got to tell you, he is everywhere. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to indwell in you, to lead you and guide you. That should fill us with gratitude and thankfulness. Should it not? That as long as I acknowledge him in all my ways and lean not on my own understanding, that he will make my path straight. How much more thankful do you need to be? How many of us need our path straight? We find ourselves in difficult places and we need God to show us. And I'm thankful that he's with us. And you know, at the end of the day, because God is present, it's holy. Peter said, but in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you should be holy for I am holy. Let me tell you, the world, when it comes to the presence of God, they'll mock it, they'll laugh at it, they'll disregard it. But my question for you this morning is, what do you do with the presence of God? Let me ask you this, is it a daily experience or just something you see once in a while? Is it something that you're cognizant of all day throughout your day when you're dealing with difficult situations and difficult issues, or is it just something you... Draw on when you have a need or a want. Let me ask you, does it take your breath away when you recognize that God is with us and God is for us? When's the last time you just sat there in your car and go, oh my God, Lord, I am so grateful for you. Not that you're my co-pilot, because he's not our co-pilot but he's the one giving us vision for the road. He's one showing that in the rearview mirror what's happened in the past is in the past. Let me tell you something. God is his presence. His presence not only should empower us and encourage us and fill us with gratitude, his presence leads to his blessings when we understand that, right? Isaiah 26, you keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We saw that saying about that when we trust in God. When we trust in God, we're trusting that He is in control of my life, my circumstances, and everyone else in it, and He's going to work it for my good and His glory, and I can trust Him for that. And I can just have confidence in who He is, no matter how goofy I am and difficult I can be. I have never met a backslidden person who was grateful and thankful. Never. To me, there's a story is told of a man where he found Satan's seeds that he keeps ready to be sown in the human heart. He found the seeds of discouragement were more numerous than the others, and he learned that those seeds could be made to grow almost everywhere. But when Satan was questioned, he reluctantly admitted that there's one place he could never get them to thrive. And where is that, he asked the man. Satan said, in the heart of a thankful person. Isn't that true? It's amazing how Teflon we are when we're grateful and thankful about what people say and think about us, right? I'm thankful for Jesus Christ no matter how wretched I am at times or how many things I can do that cause difficulty. 
to me, I think we as Christians, when we're grateful and thankful, we do become that thermostat and not the thermometer, right? You all know that. A thermostat sets the temperature. A thermometer just reads it, right? So when the room's cold, the thermostat turns up the heat. When it's warm, it turns it down. It makes adjustments based on the room. And so should we, right? When we walk into a room and there's hostility, we should bring peace. When we walk into a room and there's confusion, we should bring truth and knowledge. When there's a room that's filled with mourning, shouldn't we bring joy and and just comfort? That's what we should do. That should fill us with gratefulness. The presence of God just empowers his promises. To me, a person who is sincere thanks, who's sincere and is thankful is more trustworthy, aren't they? Than someone who does not. The attitude of gratitude is a great sign that someone's heart is in the right place and is committed to good and is oriented towards what is right and has an understanding of the presence of of God, a person who does not openly acknowledge the good that you or others do or that God does is working from a futile mind and a foolish heart. The Apostle Paul, in almost every one of his books, starts off with thankfulness. In Romans, first, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is proclaimed to all the world. What he's saying is that God does things. He infuses his spirit. He has his presence to do one thing. And I brought my son's trophy because I don't have any more left. Trophies, what do trophies do? They, they sort of um, uh, a- act as a token of some victory or some accomplishment, right? We're God's trophies, and he wants to display us because we're his victory. We, he conquered sin, and by showing us, and when we show our hearts with gratitude, guess what he's saying? Look the difference I make in people's lives. A lot of us are Christians and we're all supposed to be happy, but we should tell our face because it doesn't always show. When you ask sometimes Christians, how you doing? You really don't want to know, but they're going to tell you anyways, right? Without mentioning how good God is at all. That's what this time of year really is supposed to be about. And it shouldn't be just this time of year. When you think about it, God throughout Scripture over 150 times, he tells people, he causes people to stop and give thanks or he teaches them how to be thankful. And I think we need to be taught how to do that again as people and as a nation. Tomorrow has become a day of family, gluttony, and sports and shopping. It's no longer what it was meant to be. When I was growing up, nothing was open on Thanksgiving, right? But everybody went to church and gave thanks for the nation we lived in. I wonder how our young people today, how thankful they are for our country. How thankful they are for our heritage. How thankful they are for our founding fathers who by the grace of God established the nation unto Jesus Christ to live differently than the rest of the world and to make a difference in the world. And so we did for the last 200 and something years. The question is, are we still doing that? It's interesting. Colossians 3 says this in verses 15 and 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching means we should teach each other. And admonishing one another means correcting and warning. In all wisdom, here's the other thing singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs 
You know how many people, when we, we're going to sing in a little bit, I want you to look around and see if the person next to you is singing a song, a spiritual song. Or are they coming in here and they're just looking? Because let me tell you, when you have a grateful heart, you want to sing unto the Lord. You want to shout unto the Lord. You want God to know that you are connected to him personally and you're going to praise his name through a song. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of your Lord Jesus Christ. Everything. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Isn't that amazing? That's Paul. Urging the church to sing, to shout, to praise. A lot of you will go home on Thursday and you'll do that when your favorite team's winning or losing. But how about today in the church when the victory's already been won? Can't we sing from that position? Can't we praise from that position? Can't we say, oh Lord, you are great. Saying amen in church is okay. Singing is okay. Saying hallelujah is okay because you're not confirming what I'm saying or what Jason's saying or what John's doing. You're saying, Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the joy and the the wisdom you give us. I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and then we're going to close. David was called a man after God's own heart. We know David had issues and problems. We know that. But one of the reasons why he was a man after God's own heart is because he understood what it meant to have a heart of gratitude. And I'm going to go verse by verse through Psalm 27. I just want you to see something. Imagine David talking to God and his people. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Do you think he understands the presence of God? Whom shall I fear? Because he knows he's there, right? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He understands who's in control. When evildoers assail me and eat my flesh, that means take shots at me, and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp around me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet will I be confident. The one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire of his temple. You know what he enjoyed, looked forward to, found pleasure and satisfaction in spending time in the presence of God in his temple, in his place. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. Don't we all want that? He will conceal me under his cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above all my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your serve away, away in anger. 
O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. If you notice in this passage, if you read it again, how many exclamation points are at the end of the verse? For father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on the level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for fault witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. You can only wait for the Lord when you know his presence is there, and he's around you and in you and wants to guide you, strengthen you, comfort you, and lead you in the way of everlasting Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Did he have a heart of thanksgiving? I think so. I think he was overwhelmed with thanksgiving. I read a book this week, and I just want to share it with you. I read a book uh, when I went up to Minnesota with my wife and daughter called Jesus Skeptic. And every generation, I think God brings somebody in that can speak to a generation in a way that only... That individual could. And so in my lifetime, before my lifetime, there was Mere Christianity with C.S. Lewis. How many read it? Great book, right? And then after that was um, Josh McDowell, More Than a Carpenter. How many read that? Great book, too. You all start reading pretty soon. You should start reading, man. Uh, How many read Case for Christ, right? Another guy that came on. Well, let me tell you, John Dickerson just wrote a book. And if you're a millennial, it's a millennial mindset, right, or younger. And he speaks to the issues of the day. He was an investigative reporter a devout atheist, anti-Christian, and he decided when he was doing all this work investigating, you know, uncovering crimes and um, injustices and all these other things, world acclaim, he decided to tackle Jesus and go after Jesus. And when he went after Jesus, it's amazing what he found. He realized how he had been duped, how he had been misled, how the world confuses the truth that we all know about Jesus. It's an awesome book. I was telling it to somebody in my growth group, John Plate. He went out and got it and read it and then bought two of them to put on the nightstands of his two nephews that are coming for Thanksgiving and hopes they'll start reading it, right? Let me tell you something. We have a God who's extraordinary. We have a God who blesses us, not just with nominal truth, but he gives us everlasting truth. And here's the thing. We need to know it more. We need to be able to talk to the answers of our day. Man, when you realize how good God is and how much he's given us, we would want to absorb it to do what? Pass it on. The greatest evidence of gratitude and thankfulness is to take what's been given to you and give it to someone else. That's what the Bible calls evangelism. That's what the Bible calls being a witness. If you're under the age of 30, I want you to get the book, Jesus Skeptic. If you can't afford it, come see me. I'll get it for you. And I want to know what you think. And if you're not a believer, even more so, I'm going to hand it out to everybody I know. Not because it's the greatest book that ever is written, but it speaks to a specific generation. And it uncovers things that they have been deceived with. He doesn't start the book off as a believer, but he finishes the book that way. It's awesome. He makes a correlation that I never thought of in my whole Christian life. He talks about the Protestant Reformation. And be mindful. Everybody talks about, well, if you're a Christian, you've got to turn your mind off. When you read his book, you're realizing it's the exact opposite. 
And he talks about the Protestant Reformation. And in 1492, what happened then was everybody used to think only the way the church said you had to think. And at that point in time, it was mostly the Catholic Church. And all of a sudden, these reformers come out and say, wait a minute. It's, it's the Bible alone, Scripture alone, faith alone. And all of a sudden, this movement starts in 1492 that makes people realize they've got to think for themselves. And if they're going to think for themselves, we've got to teach them how to read because most of the, uh, the world back then was illiterate. Maybe one out of 30 could read. And so what ends up happening, these guys get all fired up through the Reformation. What's the first thing they do? Is they start the public school system. For what reason? To teach people how to read the Bible so they can get to know God. That's why we got all these universities. Every major university in our country has its roots grounded and founded in religious people trying to drive and further the gospel of Jesus Christ because they said if we can teach them how to read and they read the Bible, guess what happens? The light of God's truth shines in their lives and the darkness of the world fades away and they can see Jesus for who he is. Amen? And see, what he made a correlation for, that you should already know, but what he made a correlation to that I never thought of, was about 50 years later, one of the things that took place was the scientific revolution. And guess what? It was led by Sir Isaac Newton and Kepler and Blaise Pascal. Which he said, when I was in school, they said they really weren't Christians, they were theists. They really weren't true believers, which is nothing but a lie. Isaac Newton was one of the most grounded and founded religious people in the world. He wrote books on theology. Kepler did, and so did Blaise Pascal. And let me tell you something. Sir Isaac Newton, we all think of him, the guy with the apple who fell from the tree. Let me tell you something. He didn't just do calculus homework. He thought of calculus. He made it up. Here's what the guy said. He goes, I used to think that if I had to be a Christian, I had to shut my mind off. And then I realized that Sir Isaac Newton, as 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 said by and quoted by Einstein, was the smartest man that ever lived because he was unable to unlock the mysteries of science that allow us to have modern science today. And without him, (coughs) we wouldn't know half the things we know today. And he was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. Wrote over 4,000 pages about his relationship to Jesus Christ. You don't turn your brain off when it comes to God and the Bible. You get it turned on. And the light of the truth of the gospel will fill your heart and you will be filled with the gratitude that transcends all understanding. I want to encourage everybody as I close here to think about what are you going to do this Thursday? You're going to cook or you're going to go someplace that does. And you're going to have people over, family, friends, or whatever it may be. And you're going to have the opportunity to do one thing. And I'm going to ask you to do this. Spend a little time thanking God in front of them for him and the impact he's had on your life. And don't be afraid to share the gospel in the midst of doing that and tell them without Jesus, we wouldn't be having this meal. Without Jesus, we wouldn't even have this country. Without Jesus, we wouldn't have the freedom we have because if you look at the world prior to America, everybody had slaves. Everybody had the issues that they had in a day. It wasn't for Christianity. Slavery would still be here in some sense of the matter. 
let me tell you something. We should be thankful. And not just in, in, the, in the sanctity of our own home and our own hearts, but we should let people know about it. It's the easiest way to witness to people is by telling them, let me tell you how grateful I am what Jesus did for me. Because nobody can argue about what Jesus did for you. Amen? I want to encourage you. Get excited about Jesus. We're going to sing right now. Sing. And if the person next to you isn't singing, give them a spiritual nudge and say, be thankful. Raise a shout out for Lord Jesus, right? It's a privilege and it should be a pleasure. And it should be the attitude of our hearts. That's why the Bible talks so much about grumbling and complaining and all that other stuff. Because you know why? It's not associated with being a believer. What is, is being grateful, no matter what the circumstances you find yourself in today. Amen?